Welcome to the Renew Life Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. So good to see everybody. My name is Braden. I'm the senior pastor here. We're super glad you're here. Uh, I want to start off by giving all of our first-time guests a round of applause. Can we welcome all of our first-timers? Awesome. So glad you're here with us. Uh, We're going to jump right into it. Today, we actually start a series called Family Tune-Up. And uh, it's actually the only series we repeat every single year. Uh, Several years ago, 10, 12 years ago, I was the director of campus development for another church. And I lived in Amarillo, but I worked over campuses in Amarillo, Vail, Colorado, Midland, Texas. And part of my job was developing adult curriculum. And uh, one of the things that I did was did a little bit of research on what are the three things people need the most help in, they want the most help in, uh, seem to be struggling the most in. And it was marriage, parenting, and finances. Uh, it was overwhelmingly those three. And so uh, today we're actually starting that series. Uh, we've been doing this for several years now and seems to help. It's also it's kind of back to school, back to normal life, back to uh, getting to take your kids and give them to somebody else for most of the day. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. How do we, what, what were we thinking, having this many kids? Uh, but anyway, all jokes aside, we're really excited. Um, today we're going to talk about marriage, and I have invited the greatest and hottest preacher that I know to join me on the stage today. And I can only say that to one, she is my wife. Would you welcome up Leanne, please? Oh, all right, well, we're gonna sit down. So embarrassing already. Well, speaking of embarrassing, as you guys all know, Leanne's bound to say something inappropriate at any given moment. Because that's who says the embarrassing things. I didn't say embarrassing. I said inappropriate. Inappropriate. Um, So let me just say there will be some subjects that are fair game today because we are talking about marriage. And so now is your one chance to allow your kids to go to their age-appropriate class. Because if I say anything after this, don't write me an email or Facebook me or I don't look at any of that stuff really anyway. So you have no way to gripe or complain about anything I say today, actually, now that I think about it. But uh, there's my disclaimer. Uh, We can we're going to say some things, but uh, super glad you're here. Uh, We this is I love doing this. I love doing this with Leanne. Uh, We when we started studying on this, we were driving, we had a little out-of-town trip, doing some traveling this last week for a couple of days, and got a chance to just drive and talk, and I just, I posed the question to her, I was like, hey, if you could say three things to all the wives, or soon-to-be wives, or want-to-be wives uh, at RLC, what are the three things that you would say? And, and so that's kind of what we're going to do today. I, she's going she's gonna to share some things, I'm going to share a couple of things, and we'll just see what happens after that, but uh, I want you to start. Okay. So here we go. I think in marriage, it's um, as I started to sit down and try to process what are the three things out of the hundred billion that are most important to talk about. I, th- I don't think it, I, I don't think you can pick what's the most important. So what I what I went to was what are the things that the Lord has dealt with me personally on um, the most recently in my life? Because you guys all know that um, as soon as we stop growing and as soon as we stop. Um, pursuing change in our marriage and growth in our marriage is this is the minute that we start uh, backing up and, and losing momentum. And so I think we always need to be works in progress and always need to be students and always need to be learning. And so I have definitely not arrived. I am a work in progress and he is most certainly I, a work I have in arrived, progress. So you have arrived. He's arrived, ladies and gentlemen. He's yeah, arrived. That's where we're going. Well, then I don't need to even say anything. 
for you, for you the just, women. It's for okay. the women. Oh, okay, for the ladies. I feel like there are other right. husbands in here like myself who has arrived as well. <laughs> okay, so the first thing, let's just jump in. I feel like this is one of the biggest things for me in my life, um, is that God wants to meet our every need. Ladies, God wants to meet our every need. We were created to be whole in him, not to find wholeness in our spouse. And so if you're single here this morning, I want you to know this is for you too, because um, you can start now preparing yourself for um, your spouse by becoming whole in Jesus. God did not create us. Yes. Amen. God did not create us um, to be in marriage, two halves that make a whole. He created us to become whole in him. I'm, I've got my own relationship with the Lord. I have my own um, life and my own walk with him. Braden has his own, and then we come together, and hopefully we're coming together in power and unity as one, as a married couple. But, you know, I'm kind of, I, I, I went back to the scripture in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Let me just read that. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And so I think the thing that sticks out to me the most in this is that we were created in God's image and likeness. And is there any lack in God? Is there any incompleteness in God? No. I want to bash this notion of soulmates and that there's one perfect person on the 7.5 billion people on the planet that is for me. And until I meet this one, I'm so incomplete. No, it's quite the contrary. God has called you to be whole in him. And so ladies, Pursue God to fill every need in your life. Pursue him to come in and make you whole so that when you do meet your spouse or if you're already in marriage, um, in this marriage union, you can, can bring life to the relationship instead of looking for your spouse to fill every need that you have. Because I promise you, um, I started out marriage this way, and it does not go well when you look to your spouse to fill your needs. Because the only one that can do that is God, God the Father. And he, the Bible says in Philippians um, 4.19, it says, My God shall supply all of your needs. And so today, he is the only one that can fill all those things in our heart, all those places in our lives that are empty or void. And I think when we start trying to think that our spouse is supposed to do that for us is when we will start to have um, problems in our marriage. And so um, our mate cannot complete us and was not created to fill all of our needs. Um, and if we constantly try to go to them to fill those voids, um, they will fall short because we place them on a pedestal and we put them in a position that they were not created to be and they're not meant to be and God didn't call them to be. And so I think that's one of the biggest things in my life that I have learned most recently is that I we're called to to love each other, to honor each other, to serve each other, to truly help fulfill the call of God on each other's lives. But God did not create me to fill all his needs and him to fill all my needs. I have to go to the Father for that. So. Well, if you're not careful, 
in going this route, if you, if you start to look at them to supply all of your needs, when they fall short, a sense of hopelessness kind of comes on. It's like, okay, I was hoping they were going to fulfill this need for me. I was hoping that they were going to fulfill some of this emptiness for me. But now that we're married and, they're not, and they can't do that, I guess this is just the life that we're going to have. This is just the marriage we're going to have. And if you're not careful, you start lowering the expectation of your marriage to the quality of your spouse instead of the quality of your Savior. And whereas if I'm looking to him to fulfill my needs, now I go to him, I'm fully satisfied, now I actually have more to give. When, you, when it, that need mindset, looking to them to fulfill your need, it's a taking mindset instead of a giving mindset. And you don't have anything to give until you get your needs met by him. And I think if you're not careful, you can, you can just get disappointed. You're like, oh my gosh, I guess this is just the life we're going to have. He's never going to do this. He's ne- she's never going to do that. He's never going to pick up his underwear. He's never yeah. going to take out the trash. Which that one doesn't get better, so... If it does for you, tell me your secrets. Tell me your ways. Take it easy. <laughs> uh, no, no, those are good. Are no, you done? No, I think just a couple. No. Hold on. So just like a few practical ways. I like practical things. I like steps. Um, a few just practical things that I've implemented in my life um, to to try to allow the God to meet my needs and not my husband because I've literally walked this out in my life. Um, I, first of all, put God first, number one, not your husband and not your kids. Seriously, God has to be number one. And what does that look like? Um, First of all, stop going to your spouse for everything that's driving you crazy or everything that's nagging you, everything you're upset about, um, whether it has to do with other people or him. Sometimes there is a place for communication, obviously honest communication within a marriage. There's also times where you need to go to the Lord. You need to go. I have to sometimes lock myself in the bathroom to get a piece of like some moments of quiet, some moments where I can just spend time with the Lord or in my closet. But go to him and just say, Holy Spirit, um, help me with this. I want to go to you. Um, did you know that the Holy, one of the two of the Holy Spirit's jobs outlined in Scripture is one, he's our guide, and one, he's our counselor. So you've got built-in guidance counselor right there with the Holy Spirit. And so use that. Go to him, and it's amazing how when you activate your faith in the Word of God, God will show up in your life, and he'll actually speak to you and show you things, and he'll diffuse situations for you. And he will come and show you the right words to say to your husband. Um, the right things to go to your spouse with. So, And then the last one is spend time with the Lord and in the Word daily. Even if it's just for a few minutes every day, that is your life source. The Word of God is your life source. So there's some practical And I just ways. thought of this, too. That I didn't say this in the first service, but one of the things as men we have to be careful to, is that we don't take that same medicine as well because sometimes if we're not secure in who we are and who God made us, the fact that our, our wives, quote-unquote, need us feels something in us that they're not supposed to be feeling either that that's not supposed to be feeling either. So we create a culture where we're so glad that you need us. The problem is, is that's self-sabotaging because I don't know if you've ever had someone in your life that always needed something from you. The more they need from you, the more you want to start avoiding that person. They're never giving they're never giving back, they're never pouring back into you. And you think it may it may make you feel good for a while that they need you, but then after a while it's like, oh my gosh, you're so needy. And all of a sudden you're pushing each other apart. You husbands, you have to be in the same way. You can't have such an insecurity that the fact that your wife needs you, that you have all the answers, you have all the wisdom. I have they they have to come to me for everything. It it can distort it and it, it can be self-sabotaging. You almost have to put pressure. And I think that's what we've learned in our marriage is like when that we feel that other person looking to the other one to try to fulfill something that we weren't made it's like we we just this is what we you need to take that to jesus 
you need to take that. I'm not him. I'm not going to be him, but you need to take that one to Jesus. And, I, and maybe not as sarcastic as I just said it because I've tried that a couple times and that didn't work out as good as I'd hoped it was going to work out. But uh, it, that is kind of what we say. So You're done? You're done with that? Okay. Uh, first thing I thought of, what, and this is, it can sound cliche, but there's a word here I think that makes it a little bit different. But I, as husbands, the most successful thing you can do in your, to, to make your marriage successful is making sure that it begins with intimacy with God first. Not just, hey, you need to have a great relationship with God. I relate to lots of different people, but I'm not intimate with everyone. I, I relate to a lot, but I'm not intimate with anybody except for my spouse. I, I, there has to be an intimacy that you have with God. When, when most men hear intimacy, intimacy equals take your clothes off. That's what most men hear when they hear intimacy. They think sex. They think natural. They think that's, that's the way our minds work. And if you're in a taker mindset, then when it comes time to intimacy with your wife, you're thinking about the sex. She could almost care less about the sex. Uh, there's lots of other things that she's wanting from you that she's going to give you the sex so she can get the other things. That's kind of how that thing works sometimes. And there's, there's connection that she wants that... <clears throat> has nothing to do with physical. In fact, it's actually been fascinating for me to learn that washing dishes is actually foreplay. Like, I'm like, how did, how did, she's like, okay, I'll give you what you want, but you're, I'm going to get a few things I want before we get to that. She's I have like, a list of like 10 things. Yes. Other than that, like, if you want more. How did that, how did washing dishes become a part of our sex life? I don't know how that just happened. But it's, it's interesting because it, it speaks of there's something different that she's wanting. She wasn't made to want the same things you want or even want them for the same reasons that you want them. There's a connection. There's an intimacy. There's a communication. There's something else. In fact, and we've gotten better where, like, I can tell there's times she'll say, hey, we're not connecting. And, of course, in my mind, I'm like, well, we can connect tonight. But um, <laughs> that's not what it means, gentlemen. Uh, see those eyebrows? Uh, it, it, and so there, there's a language where I'm learning, okay, there's something I'm not giving her. There's, I'm not. The, the, the coming home from work and turning on ESPN and zoning out because I'm tired, it, it's taking its toll. I'm not giving her part of myself. But let me just say this. The safest place to learn to unlock that emotional side of yourself is with the only person that can be trusted 100%, and that's your Heavenly Father. One of the fears that men, women, are, it's as easier for women, it's not as easy for men to unlock the emotional side of themselves. That there's a fear that they're going to be rejected. There's a fear of what, what if I unlock, if, what if I am vulnerable? What if I get emotional? There, there's these crazy fears. It's that same fear that comes on you when you buy a Valentine's Day for your, a card for your wife, and then you have to fill in the blank. Like you can't just sign your name and give it to her. You actually have to write something on the card. Anybody else? It's like you just rig a mortis. You're like... I don't know how to say words of affirmation. It's like, I don't know how to do this. It's like you have to unlock something on the inside of you. Well, I, th this, was not easier. this was not always easy for me. It's still not easier for me, easy for me. But I have learned I get better at being intimate and emotional and connecting emotionally when I continually go to the safest place I know, the safest place on the planet, which is a personal, intimate relationship with my heavenly father where I tell him how I feel. I allow him to tell me how he feels. And we have that. The safer I get there, the more comfortable I get there, the more comfortable I, I, I get here. And I, and I know it's not easy. I've got, I've got a, a house full of girls now. My oldest daughter, she didn't really, wasn't as much a, a words of affirmation person. 
But my my middle daughter, I've noticed here lately, we're kind of going through a season where I'm like, we're not connecting quite right. And she was just like butting in and getting in all of my way. And one day I came home from work and I was doing stuff and she just kept getting all up in my business and I was getting frustrated. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? And Leanne from behind, she's like, she wants you. And so I was like, okay, nothing's wrong with you. Maybe something's wrong with me. So I backed off a little bit. And so I called her out, and I was like, hey, let's talk. What, what's going on? Nothing. Nah, nothing's going on. What's going on? So we, we kind of start this conversation, and, I just, and I've just kind of learned to ask certain questions. I was like, hey, what, what, are, what are you not getting enough of? Do you feel like I'm not, you're not getting enough physical touch? Do you, would you like me to hug you more? She's like, no, you hug me all the time. You give me a kiss every night for bed and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. And I almost didn't want to say it for fear that I might have to do more of it. But I was like, what about words of affirmation? Do you feel like I, do you feel like I affirm you verbally enough? And it was so funny. Women learn this at such a young age. She turns her head. She goes, you could do more. I was, I was like, okay. And so I just had a conversation. I was like, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. This was not your sister's deal. I've, this was easier for me, but I'm going to get better. Give me some grace. I'm going to work on it. And so you start to work on it. But I will say this. The more, the more vulnerable I get with him, the more vulnerable I am with them and my family and my spouse. And so I think that that's, it's very important. And, and I'll just say this too. If you want it bad enough, if you want to get there bad enough where you're literally trying to serve her and connect with her the way she wants to be connected with, do, even do some little natural things. You probably heard me say this if you've been around very long, but there was a while. It just was so hard for as weird as it sounds, it was just so hard for me to just think of saying kind things. I set an a, alert on my calendar that twice a week it says compliment Leanne compliment Leanne and so it just was driving it in my mind where it's like don't just go through the motions you're not just here to pay the bills you're not just here to make money you're not just here to mow grass which I don't mow grass I pay somebody to mow the grass but those that's not what I'm here to do there's actually other things I'm here to do and it was just trying to train my mind to think not what do I want what does she want not not what do I need what does she need and even something that simple can help so except when you saw it on my calendar you're like what is this Oh, yeah. you have to set yeah. a calendar update to say something nice? <laughs> yeah, for a second I was like, oh, okay. I was kind of offended. But honestly, I think the heart of it, if you see your spouse going going after the father and going after that intimacy with the father, that's the most attractive thing um, on the planet, I think. And it just makes them better. And that just goes more to just becoming whole individually. And when you really know the love of the Father, that's when you can begin to even scratch the surface surface of how to love someone else, when you've received his perfect love. And having that intimacy with him are the times where you receive his love and you know you begin begin to know his nature and his goodness and all the things we sing about this morning. And and then you can give it, give it freely. And so, yeah, it's so good. Okay, my second one um, is something that I've, <laughs> I'm learning, um, is that you actually don't have the right to say everything you feel in marriage. Um, and single people will learn this now. It will go f- go better with you in your marriage if you will learn this. And you now. might be single a shorter amount of time. You might be single a shorter amount of time. If you actually, learn, yeah, you learn it. Yeah, sure. Good point. Um, I used to think that every time I was mad or angry or something was bothering me that I had the right to just... Um, kind of just vent whatever I wanted to say to Braden. If I was feeling it, then it was my right to get to say it. And um, I put up with him for so many years. If he's made me mad, I'm just going to say whatever the heck I want to say. I'm sorry. Put up. I don't like your attitude. Okay. Well, and it just never would go well, and I couldn't really figure out why. And then I, uh, I, I started to just really realize that, and through conversations also, that 
I don't get the right to just say whatever I feel. Um, we, and Cody mentioned this a, a few weeks back in one of his messages, but that sometimes we cling tighter to our rights, our perceived rights as Americans to say whatever we think, to um, just say whatever's on our heart about whatever. Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech instead of what the, what the Bible tells us. And in the same manner in marriage, I think we, we really do it as women especially, we hold on to that like, if I feel it, I'm saying it. Sorry about you. Like, this is, this is what I think, and this is what I feel, and you wronged me, and you hurt me, and I'm going to tell you everything that's going on, and with all the emotions, and with all the eyebrows, and you're going to hear it. And so sit down. You're going to hear it. And this used to be kind of my MO, and, and the Lord really started to deal with me about how my standard has to be the, the Word of God. My standard doesn't get to be how I feel. My standard doesn't get to be like, well, um, he deserves to hear this. He hurt my feelings. My standard is God's word. And so if you go back to it, James chapter 3, this is kind of an intense set of scriptures on on our words, but it's really good. It says um, in verse 2, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect, and we could also control ourselves in every other way. Wow. Verse 3, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Verse 5 says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Sometimes I feel like my words have been set on fire by hell themselves. Um, I concur. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. I'm a work in progress. Verse 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And so you see there how if we can learn to control our tongue, we can actually learn to control every part of our, of our life. And I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have this. It's, it's something that's actually attainable. So my dad used to say, um, I loved this when he would say it because it gave me a visual. I'm a very visual learner, and it, and it gave me a picture. But he used to say, you know, God created the, the world with words. I mean, you go back to Genesis, the very beginning, and he said, let there be, and there was. Light and land and animals and air and, and everything, land. Every, everything he created, not by a magic wand, but actually by, by words that he spoke out of his mouth. And then the Bible we just read says we are created in God's image and his likeness. So not only do we look like him, but we act like him, and we have that same power in our words. And my dad used to say that our words are actually like DNA um, strands, like a strand of DNA. So our words go, go forth into our atmosphere, and they produce. They create. They create either good or they create bad. And the Bible actually says that. And I've got a couple more scriptures um, about our words. Proverbs 12, it says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. That's verse 18. Proverbs 15:1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. And then Proverbs 18:21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so those scriptures right there are just proof that, that our words are so powerful and that if we just 
think we can just go and say whatever we want in our marriage and say whatever is, is on our mind and whatever we're feeling, we can actually destroy things and we can actually tear down um, what we've built and what God's built. And so I think it comes down to me also the truth is is that when we embrace a life of humility is when we actually can learn to control our tongue. When we embrace a lifestyle of, you know what, I don't know everything. I really don't know it all. Um, that's when we can actually learn to watch our words. I wrote this down. Someone with humility guards what comes out of their mouth because they don't think they're always right. Humility can diffuse arguments because we don't have anything to prove. Humility can take constructive criticism because I don't know, I don't know everything. Humility asks for forgiveness because I don't think I'm always right. And so I think when I begin to fully embrace, like, what does it actually look like to be humble in my marriage and selfless in my marriage is, is when, that I, when I actually started to make a turn a corner with controlling my tongue. And, I mean, obviously stuff comes up. I don't magically squelch every single word, you know, that I, that I feel. And sometimes we get into arguments and sometimes things get heated. But there are things that now that I don't, I don't say that I used to say, um, because of this lifestyle of humility that I have embraced. And, again, I'm not perfect, but I think we've come a long way in this for sure. So well, I thought that would help. But when you choose to embrace that value, all of a yeah. sudden you, your mind starts trying to filter everything through that value. Right. You asked me last night, you're like, what's one of the things you're working on the most in our marriage right now? It's actually very similar. <clears throat> and one of the things that I've been doing is when we've had, when we're in heated arguments, because I, it's funny, you can have like an amazing day and have one bad argument and it feels like the whole day just got ruined. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we had this whole amazing day that now feels like crap because of one conversation about what are we arguing about again? And what I started realizing is that I actually had the power in some ways to, even if I feel like I'm being wronged and, and, and the way the whole day got ruined was because you made this one comment or you said this one thing. Mm -hmm. If in my head I'm saying I'm going to choose to extend grace and mercy no matter what. Mm -hmm. I, I saw Havila post something on her uh, Instagram account, I think maybe the other day, uh, and it said, it said, you made me mad. And then below it in smaller print, it said something to the effect of, I'm actually not that power. I did not have, I don't have the power to go on the inside of you and turn up anger. I'm not that powerful. And I think we actually have more power than we think we do to control the atmosphere. And so, and, and one of the easiest ways to do that and is just ex choosing to extend mercy. Mm -hmm. So you're in the conversation, you're in the argument or whatever you want, what's, whatever's going on, and you've been offended. You actually have the ability in your head to say, I choose not to bring that up. Mm -hmm. I choose not to respond to that. I choose to not get angry at that. I choose not to retaliate to that. Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is, about myself at least, is when I'm choosing mercy to sow mercy, sow grace, I thought I was sowing mercy and grace, but all I was doing was shutting up long enough to realize that I was fixing to make a big deal out of something that wasn't a very big deal. Mm. And I was the one, and my response was the thing that was actually fixing to ruin the day, not the thing she said in the first place. And I was the one that wasn't seeing things correctly. If I just started with the attitude of Jesus of sowing mercy, sowing grace, slow to speak, and just embracing that and getting my mouth under control instead of just responding, uh, it, it has the ability to deflate that. So I think it, it well, I don't think I know. It definitely goes both ways when it comes to that. Yeah. But, um, is that it? On that? Okay. Um, second thing I came up with, it, it kind of sounds harsh at first, but just kind of bear with me. But um, the statement I wrote out is that orphans make poor fathers and husbands. Orphans 
make poor fathers and husbands. And I've never really, I don't think I've talked much about this. Leanne says, I don't think you've ever talked about an orphan spirit in church. But I I, I wanted to talk about for just a minute about an orphan spirit. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase orphan spirit. Okay, so we've had a few that have heard that. A lot of you have not, though. I want to talk a little bit about an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is something that's been actually been being dealt with for hundreds and thousands of years even. Um, In in, in the New Testament, what you're going to find is there's all this language where there's this this convincing being done by the apostles and the disciples to convince Gentiles that they now have access to what the Jews only once had access to. If you go all the way back to the, the, the founder of the Jewish faith was Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith, and, God, and he was using Abraham to demonstrate something that he would do eventually with the Gentiles. The Bible says of Abraham that because he believed God, because he believed God, Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So belief equals righteousness not behavior but belief and so out of Abraham became the Jewish people and God had all these covenant promises these promises to bless Abraham and every single person that came from his house and so the Jewish nation knew that they were blessed because they were part of Abram's household so they knew because we have his blood in us we get to be blessed they knew that but what they what the rest of the world knew especially early on was that they have something we don't They have a blessing that we don't. They get it because God said, I have to earn it. I have to deserve it. I have to prove it. If I'm going to get it, it's because it's going to come by my own works. And so in, but what's the, what what happened with, with Jesus was that Jesus made every blessing that once was only available to the Jewish people. He made that same blessing available to the Gentiles. Let me read this right quick in Galatians chapter three. It's just a couple of paragraphs that actually explain this very well. Uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse, for the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took up on himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, curse is everyone who's hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, if you skip down all the way to verse 24, it says this. Let me put it another way. The law is our guardian or was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are children, here's a key word here, you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are a true, true child of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That, that portion of scripture describes to you how to get rid of the orphan spirit. You have to believe that because of what Jesus did, you are now just as much a son of God as Jesus is. And I want you to just think of the ramifications of that. Think of, just try, try to imagine, I, I'm God, here's Jesus, here's you. I feel the same about him as I do you. 
God feels the same about us, not because how we behave, how? How we believe. The orphan spirit still has something to prove, still has something to do, because it hasn't fully received that because of what he did, God sees me the same way he sees Jesus. We're still trying to earn something. We're still trying to deserve something. We're still trying to prove something. And this striving is causing a gap to happen between our, us and our spouse, us and our family. We're projecting an orphan spirit, not a, father, not a son spirit. And it's, um, it's incredible the, the fights I've seen and, the, and the, the, the disastrous things I've seen happen in relationships that all are the root of an orphan spirit. Lying tears apart more relationships than I can... Than I, I've ever seen. I, I'm actually, it's, it's bizarre, if you, and we're all really honest, it's bizarre how often people lie. Just don't tell the truth. It's like if we just started with just telling the truth, it's amazing how many things would be okay. But here's what I've learned. People don't lie because they're evil. They lie because they're orphans. And to tell the truth would be to expose a part of me that's not perfect, that doesn't have it all figured out. And when we make a mistake, we're faced with the challenge of, do I tell the truth because I'm secure in who he says I am, or do I tell a lie so that she will think I'm amazing? And all of a sudden, a a lie is told, an untruth is told, deception, which we all know that divides relationships, that tears relationships apart when you can't trust the person that you're supposed to be the one, that she's supposed to be the one you trust the most and she's supposed to be able to trust you the most. It was divided not because you're evil, it was divided because you were an orphan. And you're still trying to prove your worth to her or prove your worth to someone else. Or maybe you don't have the relationship with her or your kids that you should because you're still trying to prove something to your parents or prove something to your boss. And if my parents would just say they think I'm doing a good job, then I'll be satisfied. Or if my boss would just recognize how incredible I am, then I would be satisfied. It's all these things that orphans do trying to gain the approval of someone because they haven't received the approval from the only one whose approval matters anyway. And that's their heavenly father. our job as husbands and fathers is to paint the picture of a heavenly father. And until we've encountered the heavenly father who drives out the orphan spirit, we're leading our family, we're leading our wife, we're leading our children, we're leading them away from the thing that they need the most. It is incredibly important that we start to deal with that orphan spirit, men, and ask ourselves the questions, even the little things, why did I exaggerate right there? Why did I exaggerate? We are the biggest, can we just get an amen for that one? We are the biggest exaggerators sometimes. It's just, it just is what it is. Why did we exaggerate? Because the truth didn't make us look good enough, so we exaggerated so that we would look better. Why? Because we're still orphans. There's still something about us being just sons, his son that's not good enough, or we just don't believe it, or we just don't know it. It is so important that we start to hide ourselves. Like the scripture says, it's like putting on new clothes. Putting on Christ is like putting on new clothes. We are completely hidden hidden in him. I don't have to prove anything to my boss. I don't have to prove anything to my parents. I don't have to prove anything to my older sibling. And I don't have to prove anything to my wife. And because I'm insecure in who I am as a son of God, I can lead my family to the Father. It's just extremely important. So I just, again, it sounds kind of negative, but it just it addresses the issue that as, as men, we have to get serious about getting this, these orphan tendencies and that orphan spirit out. And I'll just say this, don't, we all have it. Yes. 
There's no one in here who, who doesn't have still some of this orphan spirit thing in there. In fact, if you're like, you know, well, the Lord dealt with me a couple years ago and I got rid of that orphan spirit, you probably got more of it than the rest of us now that you think that. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, we all have that in us, and we're constantly working. Like the Scripture says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Part of what you're working out is you're working out orphan and working in son. Yeah. Working out orphan, working in daughter. Until... Uh, there's just something so powerful that he would call me son. There's just something so powerful that he would call you daughter. And it's like the more you believe that and the more you allow yourself to be seen as royalty, as an heir to him, as a son and daughter of him, it's amazing the things that you don't feel the pressure to do anymore. You don't feel the pressure to be anything but what he told you you were, which is son and daughter. I've said this before. Son and daughter has to be the only title you'll ever need. Son yeah. and daughter. So I feel like the when our marriage finally started to flourish, because we're going in this year, the end of this year will be our 17th anniversary. And I feel like when we finally started to flourish was when we both got that revelation. Of Individually. Like, yeah, of like, I am just his daughter, and that's good enough. I'm just his son, and that's enough. And I don't have to prove anything. You know, and we've been through a lot of different stuff, like in ministry. I mean, I'll just be really honest, like, you know, being married to somebody who's got this kind of charismatic gift and you can sort of start to feel like, well, you know, if I don't, if my gift doesn't look like that, like if my leadership style doesn't look like his then it's not good as good. Or if, you know, different things that I do don't look like that because I highly, highly respect and value him, then mine's not as good. Well, it, it's been years of me learning to just rest and just be his just be his daughter, and that the things that he's put on my life, they're not better than his, they're not less than his, they're just as good as anyone else's, because they come straight from him, and if I will just be secure in him, and it's just so much easier said than done, I mean, it's taken years, I feel like, to kind of peel back the layers and begin to truly just be okay with, if I never, you know, did another cool thing for God, if I never, um, stood up here on a platform and got amens and and people you like felt the presence of God during worship while I was singing a song. If none of that ever happened, how what would I be like? What would I how would I feel? And so there's been a stripping away. I feel like in our lives to get down to that just that inside part, that very inside piece of are you good with just being His? And I feel like for us, that's when our marriage has finally started to to flourish. Let me just say, this is, this is going to be kind of harsh, so you just kind of bear with me, but social media is not helping. Yeah, no. It's not actually helping this. And, um, but and, and let me just say this, mm. nonstop selfies. Here we go. Okay. I'm just, I'm trying to help you. You need to ask yourself the question. Every time you post a picture, mm. just in your head, ask yourself this question. Why did I post that? Why did I post that? What's the motivation? Yeah. Well, in other words, do I, and why did I post that particular angle? Do I, do I think that particular angle showed that one part of my body that I actually think is pretty solid? <laughs> and I'm hoping that I can get this many likes or this many hearts. Or, in other words, was there, something about, was there something in you that was trying to draw out affirmation from somebody else? Because if, that, if you're posting that picture to say, oh, sweet new haircut, sweet whatever, or <laughs> I can't say some of the things that are going on in my head right now, but like, 
whatever. If, if, something is, if something in you is, is needing affirmation from them, you don't have affirmation from him. And it, it's just going to take some courage at times. It, it do courageous things. One, you can just start by stop posting selfies. Stop po- posting pictures of yourself. It's, you can just stop it. Uh, stop it. Just stop. Just stop it. Or you can just say, you know what, I'm going to start asking. Before I post any picture, I'm going to genuinely ask myself the question. Because I get, I'll be honest with you, I do get that there are some things, there's a lot, of, a lot of health and fitness stuff going on out there that, you know what, people want to see? Results. So they're looking to see, do I see results? Okay, if I see results, I'll follow this or I'll take this or I'll exercise here. I do get that there's some, but you have to be honest with you and you have to ask yourself the question, why did I post that picture? Why did I, why did I do that? And because it, 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 it it screams of orphan. It screams of I'm not good. It's not good enough that I'm just a son or a daughter. I need some likes from this person, or I need this many likes, or I need some hearts, or I need I need something more than what he's already told me about me. So just there's that. That's so good, so good. <laughs> Stepped off into it. <laughs> Ooh, I feel like that was really solid. Um, Thank you. You're welcome, babe. Want to hook up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving along. Um, my last, my last one is is that um, remember that the natural trajectory of marriage, or where where our marriages will naturally go if not paid attention to, is they will drift apart. Um, and I don't want to be negative, but just like our, if we don't pay attention to our health, our bodies, what we're eating. Are we exercising? Are we taking care of our heart? Like, our bodies will fall apart if we don't pay attention to them. Um, our money will fall apart if we don't pay attention to where we're spending. Our minds will lose sharpness if we're not feeding our minds uh, wisdom and knowledge. Um, you know, you've heard the, sa- the thing about the boat, like a big, giant um, uh, boat on the, the, in the, uh, on the ocean can get off miles from just being off this much at a time. And so our marriages can, can really start to drift um, if not paid attention to. And I think we've for sure um, seen that in our own lives. So the, the thing that, that you have to do is just be very intentional about the health of your marriage. Uh, it's so easy in this day and age, especially if you've got children. Um, I love my children, but they, they, their schedules and their, all their sports and all their things, and I love all that, and I love that they get that. My kids have a lot of things that I never had growing up, and I'm so blessed to get to give them that, but it'll suck your whole life dry, like including your marriage, and, and you'll find yourselves like just we're running here, we're running there, and we're buying this, and we're doing this, and we have this sports thing and this banquet and this program, and it's just like before long, your marriage is just totally taken um, a back seat, and it's really easy to, to happen. And so I just wrote down a few things, you know, your marriage just won't magically um, flourish just by not paying attention. So just a couple of things. These are just really practical. Go on regular dates without your kids. Um, if your kids are there, it's not a date. Well, right. Let's but I've, I've seen people, they're like, we're on a date. And I'm like, really? Your kids are right here. This is awful. The most awful thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not a date. You that's anti-date. What is that? It's like the opposite of date. Um, uh, number two, go on trips without your kids. If it's been 
ten, yeah, ten years since you've been on a date or a trip with just your spouse. It has been way too long. I mean, even if it's just, you know, we talked about this in first service, but even if maybe you don't, um, maybe you don't have the resources to go on a full out vacation with just your spouse and you, um, but start just with the small things like giving your kids a solid bedtime where after that you've got the living room to yourselves. You can hang out, spend time together. I think that's something that we've really noticed in our lives that's super important for us is that some of those evening hours we can actually spend time together without our children, but they'll just creep on in there if you don't set a solid bedtime and a solid like boundary. Hey, this is mom and dad time. Get to your bedroom that we paid for. Like go in there and watch TV that we paid for. Go get on the iPad that we paid for. It's just go away and give us some space. That is that is 100% okay and actually healthy to do that. You're not going to ruin your children. They're going to be fine. And so boundaries are healthy. Get them out of your bedroom also. Get them out of your bed. If they're in your bed, that's even worse. Get them out. They have bedrooms and beds. And I know every now and then, like, one of mine, like, she's, I won't say which one, but she's kind of scared when uh, lightning and thunder happen. And so sometimes it's like, yeah, there are moments where your kids come snuggle up in bed with you. But I know people whose children sleep in bed with them all the time. Um, I just don't know how that works. But <laughs> judging, not judging, get them out of your room so that you can can have a healthy marriage. Um, fight to communicate. Pay attention to each other. Keep love on the front burner. It's easy to put love, just just kind words with each other and just loving feelings and just paying attention to your spouse. Put that on the, the front burner. A little salty this morning. Just saying. Well, and I'll say this. To, <laughs> I, most of the time, some of the th- situations she's talking about, it's one or the other saying, no, the, one doesn't want the kid in the bed as much as the other one does. And it's, it, you're, you're serving the kid, not the spouse. And you're not, you weren't called, told to serve the kid. You were told to serve the spouse and submit to the spouse. And if you're not in agreement, there's the biggest one, if, especially if you're not in agreement about whatever that is. Now, if you're in agreement, it's like, I mean, because we, we do these things. Hey, y'all come pile in. Watch a show together. Yeah. There, if, if, you, if you telling your kid to leave the room destroys their belief that you love them, you're not doing a lot of other things right. You telling them to leave your room should not destroy your kid. And so, but what it should show them is that, hey, I love you enough, or I love you, but I also love your mother. I love you, but I also love your father. And we're going to have some time that's just us. There will be times, and we did this just the other day. Same thing happened. If you start, you just got to do checks every now and then. Sometimes you need to parent your kids. Sometimes your kids actually parent you, believe it or not. They give you indicators that, hey, you need to sharpen up. And our young, our, our, our youngest now, our middle one now, but she, you could tell she said, I, I don't, we don't have enough memories around the dinner table. We're not doing enough fun stuff and playing games together. And I was like, you know what? Like, you're right. I need to work on that. And I said, it's, I gave my daughter, my 10-year-old, permission to check us on that if we weren't regularly making time for them. And so we started doing game nights. We started doing different things. That's a separate issue. The thing is, is are you investing into this? Do you even believe this is as valuable as he thinks it is? And I, I think that's kind of the, yeah. the point here. One of the points you're making, anyway. You made a lot of points, to be honest with you. Um, let's just let's wrap it up right here. I and I had written this as my third point to the guys, but honestly, as we got into the the first service, I realized like this was just kind of the the word for everyone in the room. I need you to understand this. It's actually never too late to get it right. 
It's never too late to get it right. And I think if you're, if you're not careful, you can, you can hear some of the things we're saying. I, I remember times sitting in services where someone taught on a revelation or on, on, a, on, on anything in Scripture, and all of a sudden I realized I'm a long ways from that. I'm not even anywhere close to that. i got a long ways to go. And if you're not careful, the enemy can try to convince you you're too far this way to ever get that way. Let me just say this. You're, it is never too late to get it right. And there is not a stain that the blood of Jesus cannot erase. There, there, that stain does not exist. That, that failure does not exist. And, and I, I just started thinking about this. The, if there was ever anyone who should have been disqualified for how long they did it wrong, it was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was known for killing Christians, murdering Christians, hated Christians. And yet God used him to train Christians. God did a miracle in his life, turned it around, and took the thing that he was actually the weakest at and made him the strongest at. And I think it's if you're not careful, if you've been in a marriage for very long, because I'm just going to be honest, you got to be honest with yourself, but we, we, have, we have issues. We can sit up here and laugh and joke, and, and you can come in here, and we all do this. We put on our church face, and everything's good, and then we go home to a marriage that has actual real issues that we're actually dealing with, with uh, my gosh, uh, an affair that's been going on, or we're actually dealing with, a, the, the found out the spouse has another bank account that they weren't even telling me about. The spouse has a drug addiction. The spouse has a pornography addiction. All these things, we've got blended homes and not having a clue how to handle this with stepchildren. There's real issues going on here, and, and so I don't want to make light of some of this stuff. And, and, and in these issues, if you're not careful, you can hear the Bible's perfect picture of what a marriage is supposed to be and go, okay, if that's what it is, there's no way I'm getting there. Let me just confirm that. You're right. There's no way you're getting there. But I can do all things through Christ. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And I don't care what you've done to make your marriage not look the way you want it to look. Again, I repeat, there is not a stain that the blood of Jesus cannot erase. And I just felt really strong to pray for two groups of people. So I just want to pray for you as we close this. If you would just bow your head, close your eyes. We hope you loved our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great rest of your day.